Do I have any uh, foodies in the room? Do I have any foodies in the room? Foodies, like real foodies, not like I've got a lot of red foodies. Real, real foodies in the room. Uh, I pride myself in being a foodie. Uh, when people are like, hey, so like, what do you like to do? I'm like, I just like to eat food. Good food, that's like my hobby. Uh, whenever me and my wife travel, we're like, let's find the best restaurants, the hole in the walls, the Michelin star ones. We love, love food. Uh, but my favorite dish as a foodie is authentic ramen. Ooh. Authentic ramen. And uh, out of everywhere I've traveled, everywhere I go, I try to find the best bowl of ramen uh, that I can find. I've had ramen at a Michelin star restaurant. I've uh, had ramen all over the U.S. But actually, my favorite bowl of ramen, uh, if you know me, I talk about this all the time, is a place in Guatemala, actually. And uh, it's the only ramen shop in Guatemala. And it is insane. And it's at that place that I actually fell in love with ramen. Uh, but if you actually know the, the process for ramen, it, it's, it's very intricate. It's like you have to hand make the noodles. The broth is like stewed for over 24 hours. All the ingredients have to be fresh. And even the meat, there, there's a whole process in how you make it. And I, I love that, that a, a good bowl of ramen is kind of like art. <laughs> Like, it's almost artful in a way. And it's funny, though, whenever I tell people, hey, my favorite food is ramen, I know maybe this happened right now. For most people, you picture, you know, your orange, fifty cents package of Marmachan ramen from Food Lion. And what's so funny is that they can, cannot be any more similar. They're, I don't think it should even be called ramen. Right, it's just we call it college dorm food. Um, but it, it, it's not even the same thing. But what's, what's so interesting is, is we think it's the same thing. And the point that I want to make is that my fear uh, for the church is we've actually missed the art of what worship is. And we've almost condensed it into this package process, quick, convenient dish. <laughs> When actually worship is this rich, takes time, you can't rush it, right? You saw it today. There, there, is, there is an order in which we, we make it. You can't just throw anything in ramen and call it ramen, right? You can't just throw like, I don't know, hot dogs. Yeah, there we go, Micah. You can't throw hot dogs in a bowl of ramen and call it ramen. That's like blasphemy. Right? That is my, my fear that, especially in the West, we've, we've made worship this process, quick package thing. And so today I want to really speak on something that's important to this house. Uh, I want to speak on the lost art of worship. And if you've been at Breakthrough for any amount of time, maybe even just one Sunday, uh, you can see that this is something that is so passionate about our house. And... I, I would dare to say this is the most important thing in this house. And I know for a lot of people, whenever you hear that, people kind of get like a little tweaky. Because, you know, we've seen people kind of make worship like escapism. It's like, oh, I'm just going to worship, but they have no biblical foundation. And they use worship as kind of like the connection with God, which is awesome. So that's what it's for, but there's no biblical foundation. So we kind of have thrown out the baby with bathwater because of that. And uh, I love uh, Manny Rango, he's, he's an amazing preacher, and he says this, that worship is not our escape, it's God's entrance. And so when we actually understand 
what worship is and looks like and the purpose and how it functions, man, it, it changes everything. And so this is a foundational message to our house. So if you call Breakthrough Your Home, I want you to really dial in. If you're a worship leader, have worship leaders in the room, I want you to dial in. If you're a Christian, have any Christians in the room? All right, I want you to dial in. Uh, so let's start here. Uh, I want to define worship. Worship in its simplest form is love expressed. Love expressed. The word worship actually translates to bow down and kiss. Bow down and kiss. And I love that imagery. Obviously, there's different definitions in Hebrew for worship. But one of them is to bow down and kiss. And I love this imagery because it's this imagery of, of bowing like to a king. This imagery of, of, of beholding and of honoring, but it's also this imagery of affection. So let's go to Matthew 22, 36. And it says this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus says this, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. So I, I've obviously taught this passage a lot, uh, but think about how profound Jesus, God in flesh, is asked this question, what is the most important thing I could ever do in my life? You say, go to the nations, preach the gospel, love your family, do this, do this, which are all important and amazing priorities. But he says, no, 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 this is actually the first. This is actually the, the main priority in my kingdom, and it's to love God. Do you guys know commandments aren't optional? He didn't say, hey, I have a suggestion for you. He says, no, this is the first and greatest command. And our belief here at Breakthrough is that we gather around the person. We, 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 I say this a lot, that we don't sing songs about Jesus. We sing songs to Jesus. And I love throughout Scripture, Jesus, he, he gives us these hints. He says, my house will be a house of prayer. It says that zeal for his house consumes him. Unless the Lord builds his house, those who labor, labor in vain. So if it's his house, then he's priority. If it's his house, then he, he's the vision. He dictates the structure. He dictates how we function, where we go, where we don't go. And I don't want to build a church that's built on my preferences, and obviously there's pieces of that. But I don't want to build a church based on what I think we should do. I want to build a church based on what he wants. So the primary calling based on Jesus and priority of the church is to love God with every part of your being, with your mind, your soul. Your will, your strength, every part of your being. And I think why we've seen churches that are void of life or maybe seem dead or spiritually empty is because we've simply gotten the priorities out of order. Again, Jesus says, then the second is like it, it's to love your neighbor, but it's the second for a reason. 
doesn't mean we neglect it. It means that there is a priority that needs to be prioritized. It doesn't matter if I love my kids so well, but I don't love my wife. It doesn't matter if, man, my kids are so tended to, and man, I'm on top of every diaper, which I'm not, and you know, you're crushing it with your kids, but the priority in the house is neglected. This is why we have spiritually dead churches. That we focus so much on the second that we miss the first and greatest. And who knows that the great commission can only be lived out from the heart that's reading the first commandment. Say this all the time. Man, it's, it's, it's great for us to go out, which we do. But if there's nothing to bring them into, then what's the point? Hey, let's preach gospel. Come to our church. It's really dead and empty. We don't really love God. We just talk about this guy. Come join our club. We have to get our priorities back in order. And so to regain this lost art of worship, we have to go back to the Old Testament understanding of how God was worshipped. So today I want to talk about ministry to the Lord. Who has never heard the phrase ministry to the Lord? You don't have to be ashamed. All right, everyone's scholars, we're going to finish this sermon. Uh, but ministry to the Lord is such an important concept uh, that is very, 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 very rarely preached on. So let's go to First Chronicles 16. First Chronicles 16, verse 4. I'm going to read out of the NIV and then the NLT. But the NIV says this, that he, referring to King David, he appointed some of the Levites, which were priests, to minister before the ark, which is where God's presence rested, to extol, which is to, to praise loudly or exuberantly, to thank and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. And the NLT says this, That he appointed them, the Levites, to lead worship before the ark. So, in Israel, the Levites, or the tribe of Levi, were set apart from all the nation of Israel to be priests before the Lord. So they were the ones that would help people, the outer courts perform sacrifices, right? They would help them do the priestly duties of sacrificing a lamb or a dove or, or, or cattle as an offering to the Lord as an act of worship. But then the priest's duty was also to minister, to lead worship uh, before the Lord. And I love here, it, it simply says, David pointed these priests for this simple duty to minister before the Lord in his presence, to extol, to thank, and to praise. And remember, worship is love expressed. That, that worship looks like something. Yes, we worship God with our lives. But your lives have to look like something. <laughs> that in Hebrew, there's actually seven different words for that one word praise. There's seven different expressions of praise. Uh, one of them is to boast foolishly, to sing together in unity, to sing spontaneously, to lift your hands, to go on your knees, to actually do instrumental praise, which is what we did today. There we see different expressions of praise in the Old Testament. And so 
We have to understand this topic of ministry to the Lord because that's what gives our worship a richer understanding. So let me define ministry to the Lord. Ministry to the Lord is to worship God in awareness of His presence. Ministry to the Lord is to worship God in awareness of His presence. It says that they ministered before the ark of the Lord. Guys, it's one thing to simply express love to God. It's another thing to do it in awareness to His presence. I give this example all the time. Long-distance relationships. Who's ever been in a long-distance relationship? Who's still in that long-distance relationship? All right. Oh, guys. Good for you. But there's this thing in long-distance relationships, right, where it's, 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 it's not fun. Like, no one's like, man, I love having a long-distance relationship. And if you say that, you probably don't really like the person. Let's <laughs> be honest. But in long-distance relationships, you're calling, you're, your only point of contact early is FaceTime, right? Like, that's as, like, close you can get. That's as much proximity as FaceTime. Or, you know, maybe you're sending texts and all that stuff. But there's, there's, there's something different about loving someone at a distance versus loving someone in their presence. It's different to, to love God at a distance versus loving God in His presence, in proximity to Him. Think about how much more intimate and personal and deep and real it is to love someone from a long-distance relationship versus face-to-face. This is what ministry to the Lord looks like. And so I know for a lot of us, when we hear the term ministry, we inevitably think in terms of ministry to the needs of people, but this area of ministry to the Lord is not frequently taught or well understood or even thought about. And I want to highlight uh, this moment in the Old Testament, King David, and and I'm not going to go too in-depth about this, but essentially Israel for for decades under the reign of Saul has neglected the presence of God. They they hid the ark away in a barn, Saul was getting demonized. It was just a mess, okay? And so when David became king, he says this famous line that it's time to bring back the ark of our God for we've neglected it during the days of Saul. And so they brought the ark back to Jerusalem. He pitched a tent known as David's tabernacle and he uh, appointed worshipers there that actually worshipped for 33 years, day and night. That it says in First Chronicles that he employed more than 4,000 worshipers to minister to the Lord there continually for David's 33-year reign. That David made worship central to his nation and it brought blessing on the entire nation. Think about that, how crazy that is. That the same presence of the Lord that was in the ark is now in us as the body of Christ. And we have access to enthrone King Jesus upon our praises. That the church needs to return to its primary ministry because we've neglected it for too long. That in Ezekiel 44, you guys can go there. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But in Ezekiel 44, we, we have this story of two different groups of priests. And at this time, Israel's in rebellion, and there was a, a group of priests that were uh, in charge of helping 
people in the outer courts, right? They were focused on ministering to people and helping them do their animal sacrifices. But then there was another group who was inside and was instructed to minister to the Lord. And so one group was ministering to the temple. They were upholding religious duties. But what was happening was they were actually worshiping idols in their heart. They were disobeying God's law. They were allowing Gentiles in uh, to the temple. They were doing all these things that was disobeying God. Whereas the other group was ministering directly to the Lord and honoring Him as holy and obeying Him with their hearts. So in verse 9 in Ezekiel 44, God confronts the first group and He says this. He says, You brought foreigners uncircumcised in heart and flesh into my sanctuary, desecrating my temple, while you offered me food, fat, and blood, and you broke my covenant. That even though they made offerings to God, he didn't accept them because they were being hypocritical by not glorifying God with their whole lives. They're only glorifying God with parts of their lives. But the other group, God says this in verse 15, the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the sons of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me to minister to me. They shall come near to me and minister to me. And they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, declares the Lord. So the point I want to make with this is there is a difference between ministry for God and ministry to God. There is a big difference between doing things for God, which is not wrong. We need people to set up chairs, to run slides, to go into the city. We need that, but we have to understand there's a difference between ministry for God and ministry to God. Mike Bickle, he says this quote, I quote a lot, and he says this, there are lovers and there are workers and the lovers get more work done than the workers. I love that. And so you need to understand that when we gather on Sundays, why we have prayer rooms twice a week, every time we gather, we're not here just to sing songs about God. It's actually so much more rich and deeper. We're here to minister to the person of Jesus. Watchman Nee, do you guys know who Watchman Nee is? Amazing evangelist teacher out in China in the 1920s, started a lot of house churches there. Amazing, amazing author. But he actually has this sermon on ministry to the Lord. It's like, I found him like the dark net. But there's this ministry, this sermon that he, he wrote about ministry to the Lord. And I want to read this quote because this just stirred my heart. And he said this, let us ask ourselves, can we pull this quote up? Let us ask ourselves, does our work minister to our satisfaction or to the Lord's? I fear that when we have worked for the Lord, we're often thoroughly satisfied before he is satisfied. We're often quite happy with our work when he has found no joy in it. 
Blessed are they who can differentiate between minister, ministry to sinners or saints and ministry to him. Such discernment is not easily acquired. Often it is only by much drastic dealing that we learn the difference between ministry to the Lord himself and ministry to the house. So good. And so I want to preface, this isn't saying that we don't serve in practical ways. We need that. That's biblical. Right? This is true religion. Serve the orphans and the widows. This is biblical. But what I want to highlight is the main thing has to be the what? The main thing. The first thing has to be the first thing. So let's go to 1 Chronicles 23, 13. I'm trying to give you guys as much biblical basis. You guys okay? All right. 1 Chronicles 23, verse 13. It says this. Aaron was set apart, he and his descendants, which were the Levites, forever to consecrate the most holy things, to offer sacrifices before the Lord, and to minister before him, and to pronounce, right, there's an expression that comes from ministering to him, and to pronounce blessings in his name forever. So, Contextually, throughout the Old Testament, we see that God intended for the entire nation of Israel to be set apart, to be his chosen people. You can see that in Exodus 19. But we see that they continually broke covenant, right? They worshiped the golden calf. They, they kept breaking covenant. So what God did within the tribes of Israel, he selected one specific family, Aaron's family, and he set apart his family, the tribe of Levi, to be priests and to be an example of God's desire for his people and to the rest of the nations. This is a, a quote uh, that says this, God instituted the Levitical priesthood to mediate covenant holiness through sacrifice and example to Israel. They were consecrated or set apart for the purpose of drawing close to him and worshiping him in the most intimate way. And they were meant to be a true example for the rest of Israel of what God desired for each one of them. So you may be hearing this. You're like, Pastor Andrew, that's Old Testament. We're not that anymore. Let's go to 1 Peter 2.9. I'm going to show you guys that this is still very true to us today. 1 Peter 2.9. Peter is referencing to Exodus 19. He's applying it to us today as new covenant believers. He says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Look to neighbor and say, You are a part of the priesthood. All right. All right. This doesn't mean, you know, you're part of the Pope's crew. This is a new covenant reality that you are a part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession to do what? That you may declare the praises, love expressed, of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, who has been called out of darkness into this wonderful life. All right. If that is you, you are a priest. Could we go back to 1 Chronicles 23, 13. The last 
thing it says is this, to minister before him and to pronounce blessings in his name. What's the last word? Forever. Forever. You know what forever means in Hebrew? It means forever. <laughs> to minister to his name forever. That the Levitical call is still here today if you are a believer. But it's different. It's actually better. Because you don't have to sacrifice goats and sheep and cattle anymore. Your worship is not your sacrifice. It says in Scripture, offer a sacrifice of praise through your lips. That worship is now our sacrifice. And so if you are a Christian in the room, you are a part of this royal line of priests that were set apart with the duty to minister to the Lord, and that still stands today. But unlike the Old Testament priests, we get to minister to him with full access and intimacy because of Jesus. You know, in the Old Testament, there was the tribe, Levi, and the priests, but there's only one high priest, and this high priest was only allowed to enter the Holy of Holies where God's presence tangibly was. He's only allowed to enter one time a year. Think about that. How much more access do we have today because of the blood of Jesus? So now as new covenant priests, we minister not from a distance. We minister with access. But not only access, we got to minister with intimacy because we know him. I love this in Deuteronomy 10.9. This is just a, a quick theological fact. Uh, but it says this, this is why the Levites had no share or inheritance among their fellow Israelites. The Lord is their what? The Lord is their what? As the Lord your God told them. So in the Old Testament, when Moses pitched the tent, the tabernacle, in the wilderness, all the tribes of Israel camped out, like little, little camps, camped out. And every single tribe was given a plot of land. They were given an inheritance. This is where you're going to pitch your tent. Your family's going to be here. And that family ended up growing the thousands and thousands and thousands. And the, the Levites, which is so interesting, you would think, man, this is the one tribe that should get like the most, right? They're the ones who are in the temple ministry to the Lord. They were given no inheritance. They weren't given any plot of land. They were actually placed and plotted within the other tribes. So within the other tribes, priests were plotted there, right? To show to them, to be set apart, to show to them God's original desire for his whole nation to be priests. And so what's interesting is they were given no land, but it says here, they were given no land, but the Lord was their inheritance. The Lord was their reward. I'll tell you today, the Lord is your reward. Why do we worship? Not to get anything, but because he already is the reward. All right, Acts 13, verse 2. New Testament. It says this, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, 
The Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I've called them. It was this moment that the, the that missionaries were sent out for the first time. And it came from the place that they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. And then they heard the Holy Spirit tell them what to do. That when we minister to the Lord, it's not just this empty activity. When we are worshiping the Lord in awareness of His presence, this isn't just like I'm just singing songs and going through the motions. That there is actually a closeness that you enter into that you can actually hear God clearer. So when we talk about how important this is, Watch me, he, he talks about this passage and he talks about that, that for so many Christians we, we, we just do things without God telling us to do it. That he, he, he says that there's so many missionaries in the field that aren't, aren't supposed to even be on mission. This is why missionaries are getting burnt out because maybe they were never even called. Why pastors are getting burnt out because maybe they just had a personality they thought they were called but God never actually told them to do it. And it's in this place where we say, Jesus, you are the reward. You are the priority. I'm fully submitted to you. That in that place, we start to grasp his will. This is what we do in prayer room every Tuesday and Saturday. That we minister to him. And as we minister, we, we grab his heart of what he wants us to pray for. Because Jesus is constantly interceding. We, we, we join in what God is praying what God is wanting to release, what, what his will is on the earth. And it's from that place that they heard. And Saul was sent out, and you have the gospel because you were a Gentile, and Saul was sent to the Gentiles from this place. I remember this one moment a long time ago, back when uh, Breakthrough was, was just starting out, and I used to be really sloppy back then and not certain prep till the day of, but so And uh, I remember we had this church at night and I was like certain prepping in the morning and I was just not getting anything and I was experiencing just like a lot of attack mentally and was just not sure what to do, what was going on. I'm like, I have no clue how I'm going to preach. We're like two hours away from church. Church is at six o'clock. And I'm like, I don't even have a sermon. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to say. Mentally, I'm just not there. And I remember what I did. I was like, you know what? The only thing that I know I can do is I'm just going to worship. (laughs) So what I did is I got in my face and I just started loving on Jesus and thanking him and and speaking to him, not to try to get something, not to try to get a message, but because that was the only thing that I know that I could do in that moment. And as I was ministering to him, the Lord downloaded the message. And immediately the fog left. And within two hours, I had a full sermon ready to preach. I don't recommend doing that every single time. You know, preparation, God rests on preparation. Come on. But there's something that when we minister to the Lord that we actually get close enough to hear His whisper. Alright, Matthew 26. We're almost done. Matthew 26, 7 to 10. says this, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. I want you to pay attention. This is really important. Which he poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? 
That was the first response. Why is she wasting this? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Look at Jesus' response. Aware of this, he said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And further on it says, wherever the gospel is preached, this moment, this woman will be remembered. She's still remembered. This is what it looks like to minister to the Lord. And so many in the church today sadly have the same perspective of disciples. I actually heard someone recently who is, teaches at a worship school, at a college, and said it's inconsiderate if your worship is too long. Because at a worship school, at a college. Sadly, so many people have the same perspective of the disciples. And it doesn't say the Pharisees had these perspectives. It was his followers. He said, why the waste? Why waste it? Serve the poor. Why is worship too long? It's inconvenient. I got to eat lunch. Stop making it too emotional. Well, love's emotional. Yes. Should be emotional. Doesn't mean you're ran by it. There's better things to do with our time. Let's use our resources somewhere else. These are the things that get spoken. But at the end of the story, we see Jesus' response. And he says that the culmination of her entire life is now known throughout history by the single moment of how she expressed her love for Jesus. Don't tell me that our worship doesn't move him. That her offering ministered to his heart. Don't tell me your worship doesn't move him. So I want to end by saying that the goal of ministering to the Lord is to move his heart. The goal of ministering to the Lord is to move his heart. And I think the hold up for so many people, maybe you're still hearing this, and you're like, okay, I get it theologically, but don't really get it and don't really want to do it and and, and we come up with all these reasons why this actually isn't a thing and, and I just want to address that because I get it I actually really understand I don't think it's like this I think when people see worship and dismiss it and say hey it should just be short we should just be quick and you know let's, just, let's get to the word which is very important you know, worship's the, the one thing that's actually for him. He already knows everything about the preach. The one thing that's for him, we're like, let's do 20 minutes, three songs, message, all right. Next, next, next time, 10.30, all right, next service, we just keep going, keep going. But I, I just want to address, I get it. And I think most people, that they, that, that dismiss the value of worship, most people that dismiss 
the fact that we can actually minister to the Lord and that it's actually the priority of the call of the church. I get why people dismiss it. And I think most people dismiss it not because they have bad intentions or they don't love God. It's because they simply have bad understanding. And the bad understanding is the fact that our worship does nothing to God. That's the root. If you don't believe that your worship actually moves Him, that your worship actually blesses Him, right? It says, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Why would it say that if you can't bless Him? The reason that we, we think that worship is the dessert after the meal, let's just get to the meat, which is the message. Why we, we've minimized and packaged and processed worship into this quick thing when it's actually this glory-filled, rich, powerful, you're hearing God's voice, He's speaking, you're getting set free, you're, you're getting face-to-face with God. Why we've missed it is because we have a bad understanding and think that worship doesn't do anything. Why waste our time when we can go serve the lost? And it really comes down to the fact that we don't believe he's a person. If we actually believe he's a person, then your worship really matters. If you believe that he's actually the reason that we gather, then worship is the most important thing you can do. If we actually believe that God is a person, meaning he has a mind, a will, and emotions, then our worship isn't just emotionalism, it's connection. And yes, people can be emotional and be crazy, and we've all seen it, but let's move on. So this is where I want to land. You guys okay? The oil in this passage represents adoration and intimacy and value without regard to cost. And the fragrance that comes from the oil symbolizes worship. And so why ministry to the Lord is so significant is because it's what we'll be doing for all of eternity. Loving God in His presence. You better start practicing. You guys know the the passages where Jesus says, "Don't store up treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven." You guys know that passage. What Jesus is showing us, He's showing us that there are things on earth that we can actually store up and bring with us to heaven. Don't store up things on earth that rust and rot, but store up things that. That, that are actually going to be treasures in heaven. So he's showing us, I want you to pay attention, we're about to end. He's showing us that there's actually things on earth that we can store up and bring with us to heaven. Do you know what that is? It's the intimacy that you cultivated here on earth. It's the intimacy that you've cultivated with the Lord here on earth that you bring with you and store up in heaven. I think that's just mind-blowing. The worship that we pour out on a speed, the, the connection, and I want to define this. Worship, intimacy is a two-way street. It's not intimacy, only one person is doing the loving. Intimacy is a two-way street. 
my longing for this church. It's like Mike Bigel said, there are workers and there's lovers, and lovers get more work done than workers. Because our work now gets to be from a place of overflow, not out of emptiness, not out of duty. Guys, duty-based obedience is the worst thing ever. Oh, it's the worst. That's why most people walk away from the church. The love-based obedience. Oh, that's so, so much better. So much better.